0: Hello listeners, Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime Early and Ad-Free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime podcast focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. I have an unusual story to share with you tonight. This is the story of one of Canada's most notorious art and antiquities thieves. He's a man who lived in Halifax, and over a period of... I guess it's hard to even say when it started and when it ended, but for a period of time... He stole from most of the art and culture and educational institutions in our province. It's a crazy story, and my guest is the perfect person to tell it. I'm going to be joined by Michaela Gorman, who's a investigative reporter, journalist, writer, and just hilarious person. Who's the, again, the perfect person to tell this story. So let's get into it tonight. My guest, Michaela Gorman, and I will be discussing the story of the thief, neo-Nazi and abuser, John Mark Tillman. Michaela, so excited to have you on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a a fan of yours from well before the podcasting days, a fan of your writing. Thank you. I don't know what it was, but there was one piece you wrote in Frank. That won me over just because of how snarky <laughs> and kind of sharp it sharp it was.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I've been known to be a, a, a little acidic at times. <laughs> I don't know where people get that idea from.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, introduce yourself. So you used to write for Frank. That's how we met originally. Yeah. So, so.
1: I, I, I was I am technically am a professional journalist. I, I studied at Kings. I worked at Frank for about. Uh, six or seven years uh and at a certain point in time uh i decided to move on and try different things uh pretty much around the same time i transitioned publicly mm-hmm. uh and since then i have been producing content mostly podcasts videos what have thanks very much to you reaching out and helping me get a podcast uh with uh, audio boom yeah, I forgot
0: about that because yeah. I knew you were, you were planning to start, and then I connected you with Audio Boom.
1: Exactly, You're still yeah. hosting. There? I am. Yeah, that's amazing. I I managed to get grandfathered in, so I don't pay a thing. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I should have got you to bring me a coffee. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so, we know your background, getting into a lot of Nova Scotia's kind of but i don't know about darker but more kind of interesting yeah. maybe salacious topics through your time with
1: frank i think salacious is definitely the uh, the the term um s- such things you know like the 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 nitty gritty the the frauds the history of bizarreness uh, a couple of people who are well intentioned but um unstable yeah. yeah uh let's let's go with that yeah uh, and of course those who wish to take uh, advantage of those who are unstable and of course our province of very very needy politicians. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Well, this story is one that I'm sure you covered, but even if you didn't this is so up your alley, the story of John Mark Tillman.
1: It really is. Yeah. And
0: I honestly, I knew the story, but I never considered covering it. It was you who recommended this topic. And once I kind of read it, read the story and was just shocked by the detail of it. But then at the same time, I was like, I have to get Michaela to tell this story this is of her alley. What about this story made you be like, we got to talk about this?
1: Uh, so you, you say it yourself. It's the details. It's that this is a bottomless pit of ridiculousness in the, the, the way that only Nova Scotia and possibly parts of Florida can be. <laughs> uh, it... it, it so, so you've, you've heard of the story, as you said before, mm-hmm. but what you probably heard is simply uh, one detail or another, uh, uh, such as the fact that he's Canada's most prolific thief. Mm-hmm. Now, when some, when someone says that, you don't really get the full details, the, the flavors and, and, and the, the little finer tastes that come along with this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and for instance, you don't get the fact that he was raised and a uh, by and himself a lifelong neo-Nazi. Mm. Tiny bit of detail that you may have missed. Yeah. Uh, by saying he is simply Canada's most successful thief, you completely miss the fact that he spent almost an entire decade doing uh, break and enters on the Russian mob. During the 90s, yeah. you you truly miss out on the way in which he pulled off these intricate thefts, uh, very much in the style of Ocean's Eleven, mm. and I am not kidding in terms of details. They, in fact, have the same ending
0: wow, as yeah. the
1: original Ocean's Eleven um, remake. Uh, it, it's, it's truly the gift that keeps on giving. Yes. And... No one except the perpetrator dies in the end. Well, I a couple of people, that. yeah, a couple of people get hurt, but they don't. It, th- this isn't one of those stories where uh, it turns out that he murdered someone. Yeah, uh, there are many suggestions of this, mm-hmm. but it, it seems that thankfully, uh, as much of a scumbag as this man is, he never escalated to that point. Mm-hmm. At least,
0: never got caught. At least, Not. never. Got and caught. it seems like he did get caught for most of the things he did in the end.
1: So. That's the thing. He, uh, uh, he was, while uh, famously an incredible thief, he was also famously a terrible criminal uh, due to his, his sheer ego, his mm-hmm. arrogance of it. He did not care, and he had the money to cover up for the fact that he didn't care.
0: Yeah, he was his own worst enemy in the end. A lot of people who know the story of John Mark Tillman know really just the end, him getting caught with stuff, this massive theft ring, you know, or this massive theft that was all hoarded in his house in Fall River. Mm. But they don't know the earlier parts of his life. What did, like in everything you've read and wrote about him, what did you learn about his earlier days
1: okay so he had a seemingly typical normal life for someone who was born in halifax Uh, so he was born february 24th 1961 uh in halifax his family's from halifax and fall river um, and he's lived his entire life with exceptions of extended vacations to europe uh which we will get to he's always lived in fall river and the halifax area uh, in fact, uh, uh, just off Miller Lake in Fall River, mm. where there is now, unfortunately, still a brook named Tillman Brook. We will get to that. Yeah, yeah. Just remember, brooks can be infamous too. <laughs> uh, while his family, uh, uh, you know, was was typical, normal. They were they were affluent enough that he didn't ever have to do anything. Mm. Uh, he was. Part time raised by his uh, grandmother on the Tillman side, and she was, to all accounts, allegedly a raving Nazi. And when I say a raving Nazi, I mean like in the same way you would find them in Argentina in the nineteen sixties, okay. believing that someday Zaffar will return and the will commence. <laughs> uh, we are talking just full on, full blast Nazi, mm-hmm. and she instilled. From a very young age in uh, uh, John Tillman, uh, the idea that he is entitled to take anything in his life. It doesn't matter. He is entitled to take it mm. because enough things have been taken from the white man, and it's high time that he got it back. And that's I think you were going to act him. out the characters. Oh, you this are, is great. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and so, from a very, very young age, his entire life has been shaped by the concept that a, he is owed everything he takes; mm-hmm. therefore, he never has any sense of guilt. And B, Hitler was a really nice guy. Mm. Yeah,
0: and it's his that part of his story doesn't come out until way later. Like mm-hmm. I, I heard of him getting arrested. I followed a bit of the story. I heard he got a book deal.
1: Yeah, and then
0: it really it came out that. He's also a hardcore, <laughs> unapologetic Nazi. And very quickly, that book deal was, was shut down. But.
1: Exactly. And, and that's that's the funny thing. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's the gift. the The story is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's because that comes out later, but the seeds are planted at the very beginning yeah. for all of this glorious mess. Mm-hmm. So he, he was brought up in this, I'll
0: say, dysfunctional setting. Mm-hmm. But it seems like his life of crime, maybe it started young, but it really kicks off when he moves to Russia. Is that fair to say? Yeah,
1: so it it, it starts. He, he starts very minor leagues. He is taught by his grandmother to steal things. His mother was as well an accomplice later in life, so it's suspected that she probably at least had a blind eye to it. And he, early on, he just did petty crimes, uh, uh, the sort that you would find of anyone. Um, actually, he kept doing them his entire life. If john tillman was thirsty he would simply go steal a drink or some water he was his entire life wealthy in one way or another but he would not pay for anything and so his his original thefts began that way and and he his talent and he truly had a talent for thievery Mm -hmm. he he's a, a master thief in every possible regard uh uh that's why it took so long to catch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he learned that simply uh, just stealing stuff at, at local stores, at local groceries, uh, and from his, the tips uh, from his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while it didn't seem to to have come out until at some point when he was in Russia, he was slowly building those tricks and uh, talents uh, throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Now, at some point, uh, he... Following the fall of communism, he decides that, obviously, there is a terrific market in Europe for stealing shit. Uh, and this, the timeline here can be muddled because he very much intentionally withheld a lot of his life. So uh, uh, any details that seem contradictory are because they come from different people, mm-hmm. not proven documents and certainly not himself. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that memoir he wrote... No one except for those who work at Nimbus have seen it. Mm. So it's unknown. And quite frankly, it was probably full of lies, especially since it clearly didn't detail the fact that he's a white supremacist mm-hmm. and they only found out when it was pointed out to them. Mm. Uh he goes to uh, uh Mount St. Vincent University and gets a degree in marketing. Mm. Now this is incredibly important because it is at Mount St. Vincent University that he really applies his interest in history. This is what takes him from being just a petty criminal knocking off whatever he wants to intentionally targeting things. There's a, uh, a professor who used to work there, uh, a professor of, of history uh, that he bonded very closely with. I wasn't able to find the name of, but uh, he was quoted by someone who uh, met him at a, a later point after all of this came out. He said, "I personally feel incredibly guilty because I showed him all the good stuff. I showed him how to pick out real from uh, real artifacts from forgeries, how to how to know what actually matters and what is just the detrius of history. And from that, he was able to target uh, such incredible rarities uh, for theft later on. Uh, but yes, at some point, he decides. Well, you know." having taken that information that i just learned from uh, university and my my thieving skills i'm going to go far abroad and he went to russia and he met a woman named katya zistakova and her brother vladimir now vladimir was a tech security expert an okay. early tech security expert uh, of the early 90s uh and he he uh, from what uh what i could gather he installed Uh, security measures into the homes of the rich and then a couple of weeks would go by and oops something went wrong Mm -hmm. someone got in through your security i guess i'll just have to beef that up at a bonus rate Mm. and then later maybe some of the items would turn up again and oh aren't you glad you should give me a finder's fee Mm. it's a perfect racket together though they became unstoppable his criminal genius truly began to shine in a, a constant stream of little displays of criminal brilliance. Uh, Katia would be the uh, the honeypot or the distraction. Mm-hmm. She would either go in and play as sexy as possible or as confounded as possible and loudly, of course, or, or, or pretend to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vladimir would sometimes play a part uh, maybe as an abusive uh, uh, husband to her in public, so that all everyone's distracted. Mm. Or he would be working from a van uh, down the street, having hacked in with like hard line analog into the telephone network to get into the banks, or not, uh, sometimes the bank security, the uh, museum. Uh, museum security, the personal uh, oligarchs' personal security at their DACA. Wow. and meanwhile. Uh, uh, Tillman would walk straight in the front door, dressed pristinely, looking every bit the gentleman, and no one would notice him. He'd just saunter in, grab whatever he wanted, saunter out, and at some point, Katia would, uh, uh end her drama and leave, and Vladimir would have been long gone. Mm. And they did this for almost a decade, uh, uh stealing literally no one knows how much money. Mm. And
0: of a lot of like art, valuables, antiques, like very early on that became his thing, right? Paintings, sculptures.
1: Exactly. And it wasn't necessarily because they were the things of most value. What he truly fascinated himself with was the value you put to something, even if it was emotional value. Mm -hmm. So he would target things that were advertised like to be on display or someone had made a big deal out of. Uh, One such uh, instance was they stole a mummy. They stole an Egyptian mummy, 5,000 years old, because it was what everyone was excited to see. And so they snuck in uh, to the museum one night, managed to hide away. Uh, This was a trick that he played numerous times, including at the archives at Dalhousie. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would simply hide away for the night, wait until everyone has gone home, go out, grab his stuff, secret it somewhere, uh, hide himself away, or uh, in this and the Dalhousie instance, have sex with Katia or someone else possibly on the display, on the floor, against the wall, whatever. Don't point at my wall when you're talking about that. Right here, (laughs) right here. (laughs) And and then uh, in the morning, they take their things, wait about half an hour for there to be a crowd of people, stroll right out again wow and 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 that was if he wanted you not to see him sometimes he intentionally would make a friendship with you and he'd show up once a week every week for a year and then you'd notice stuff going awry and then you notice that you don't see him arrive in the morning he just no well, i guess he was he, he came here early off he goes have you seen that solid gold bust where did that go mm. It, it He did this for years Eight yeah, years.
0: It is just like out of a movie. And mm-hmm. it's crazy that it went on all this time, literally like right under our noses in Halifax. Cause when, right here. when he comes back to Canada, did, did she come with him, Katia?
1: She did not. Um... He First of all, it took quite a while for investigators to identify Katia and Vladimir because he never identified her whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And he has never cooperated in identifying where she is currently. Mm -hmm. No one knows where Katia or Vladimir are. Wow. There are suggestions by some that perhaps he simply killed them. Mm -hmm. There are suggestions that perhaps the oligarchs got fed up with being robbed, Mm -hmm. especially by someone that arrogant. And while they couldn't get... Tillman, they certainly got katia and vladimir mm, yeah but that information is lost in russia mm. with so many other germans
0: yeah and he and but we know they exist there's photos of, of mm-hmm.
1: katia and him. they so. existed yeah there's a very famous photo that was taken the uh the the mummy theft actually occurred the night after a reception they were photographed at the reception And I don't mean they're in the back of a photograph. The photographer walked right up to them and took a photo of them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um,
0: So this happens over there. He comes back to Halifax for whatever reason. And as I say, this happens under our nose. Mm -hmm. He is spending his time going to like local universities,
1: museums. The province house. He, in fact, stole a painting off the province house wall. Along with various documents from their archive mm. and who knows what else we have to see that that's that's the other thing about Tillman um yeah he'd steal things of worth he'd steal things of personal value mm. but he would also say steal your stapler why because mm. he would steal anything he would steal the the the, the, the wires uh, the strings off your guitar <laughs> but not necessarily the guitar mm
0: we'll get into maybe what was motivating, but it seems like it's something between like the greed and the money, but also just the kleptomania Mm -hmm. and then the ego and the idea of like, he would refer to his, um, his crimes as missions. So he really saw them as like this, like there was almost like an art to what he was doing and the outfit he would wear and the way he'd carry himself. But give me an idea of like, so we talked about the, um, Several universities, uh, art. Um, what would you? Not a museum. Like art, art galleries. Art
1: galleries, antique stores, uh, personal collections, mm-hmm. uh, uh, bookstores. If they happen to deal with uh, something that is uh, of value, mm-hmm. um, the the there there used to be a bookstore uh, uh, down at the end of Barrington mm-hmm. that uh, dealt with uh, prized uh, documents, like one of a kind documents, uh, old nautical charts uh there were there were uh, uh items found in his collection from them so that we're talking about like the only sea chart that ex- that was made for a sea captain from the 1820s mm-hmm. one of a kind items things that collectors are only interested in if they're incredibly niche and he was very niche mm-hmm. he knew and understood exactly what he was stealing And the predominant reason he did it is so that he had it, you didn't. Yeah,
0: just literally just building this personal museum that at his house that was also almost a shrine to his intelligence is kind of the way, because there's a video we'll eventually get into where (laughs) that came out in a trial against him where he's just walking around the home, his own home, just talking about what he has. And as someone like, I can read people to an extent. And as he's making that video, it's like no one's there, it's him and a camera, but he's bragging to whoever's going to see this video about the amazing things that I have, you know. It's so I that video really gives me a sense of his uh just his mindset. But let's get into how the public learns ab- about him. Yeah. It all starts
1: oddly enough with just a minor traffic stop. I- exactly. Now, he had gotten in trouble with the law before, but it wasn't in a way that it would have gotten any headlines. There was There was no reason to pay attention to this man. Um, In 2009, he was charged with assaulting his uh, then-girlfriend and uh, attempting to kill his mother with a pencil. You'd think something like attempted murder would probably land him in trouble. But then his mother, uh, I believe A. Noreen Gregory, uh, she died of unrelated causes. And for some reason, the Crown decided, oh, we don't really need to follow up on his attempted murder. That clearly doesn't mean anything. It's fine. We'll just charge him with the assault of his uh, girlfriend. Uh, this is the same girlfriend who filmed that uh, uh, video, oh, by uh, the way. Okay. And later handed it over to police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she, she was a, a little upset with him. Yeah, that's um, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, uh, so he, he gets just in a basic traffic stop. Now, uh, this is after he spent two years in jail, um, uh, or no, this is two years after he'd been sentenced to jail, but he didn't, didn't, uh, stay in the full time.
0: Uh, jail for the assault. Jail for the assault. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that's why, uh, uh, the stop becomes a little more than it seemed. It, it's a basic traffic stop, but because he is a parolee, there are other, indicators that the cop is going to look into so the boot of the car comes up and what is sitting inside a letter from general Wolfe, among other items now typically when an officer is looking into the trunk of a car of a former convict they're looking for other things a weapon narcotics possibly a dead body mm-hmm. one doesn't expect to see a one-of-a-kind canadian artifact mm-hmm. And there's nothing illegal with holding on to a one-of-a-kind Canadian artifact, along with other artifacts, uh, which were never detailed, but they were, it, was, it was said that they were artifacts of some sort. Mm-hmm. Clearly not a cannon or a sword or anything. Yeah. So, all right, he gets away with this traffic stop. But it pings something in the system that starts an investigation into his other activities, Uh, and they end up talking to the girlfriend who charged uh, who was the source of his uh, previous conviction again and this time they're not talking to her about the assault they're talking to her about items Hmm. why does he have this item and she goes stop me stop me if you've heard this and she pulls out the tape and the tape has that beautiful, you've seen it uh, oh yeah, uh, I've watched it a few times it, it's, it's just this beautiful episode of MTV's Cribs, but everything in it is stolen, not only stolen, lovingly stolen and then detailed and then displayed for, for full appreciation, of course by just one man, who is that one man? He's the one man on camera, <laughs> yeah. John Tillman
0: this is my host at Miller Lake in July 2011. There's my BMW. My 1947 Massey Harris tractor and my 1989 Porsche 911. This is a view from my foyer inside the house. Looking to the living room. There's a good painting right there by W.H. York. Dated and signed in the 1890s. That's worth about three or forty thousand bucks.
1: He is so proud of his collection and not only his collection of course his shrine to adolf hitler that is also in the video there's a picture of the great man i have in my office one of the greatest men in history a decent man
0: he has a special spot in my office and my home
1: and all of these things kind of combine into a general sense from the police that maybe we should arrest this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they from the video, are able to identify enough items to get a warrant. And they slam into his house in, uh, I believe, 2013, January 2013, and they find somewhere between about five and 10,000 people depending on how you rank them and, and identify them, items that are stolen from across the globe. Not only local, uh, as, as, as local as down the street uh, uh, at, at like, local uh, antique stores or PEI, uh, but from Europe, like uh, far-flung uh, uh, universities and, and museums across Europe where he helped import uh, illegal things under his import company called Prussia import. Again, very German.
0: Yeah, and the stuff that they find, like one thing that really stood out was he, and he talks about this in the video, he had a first edition copy Mm -hmm. of The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. Yeah. Some books in there that are extremely valuable. Um, Probably the most valuable one being The Origin of Species, first edition by famous Charles Darwin. That book should be worth between $100,000 and $200,000. Not to mention the scores of other ones which are worth thousands of dollars each.
1: And, and that's then that's the thing. Yeah, it, it's just a single book that he has, and we're already talking about probably, I believe, fifty to 70,000 is where it ended up. Yeah. That was stolen from Mount St. Vincent University. They allowed him in because he was an alumni, and he was a known factor among local historians as just someone who everyone believed was doing research. And he passed himself off as a researcher and a historian. And so he would he would buddy-buddy up with the uh, the archivist, and eventually they would uh, leave him alone with an item. And in this case, he he did uh, uh, go in and visit repeatedly that exact item. Wow. Until one day it simply vanished, but it couldn't have been him. He was such a nice man.
0: And a lot of these places... Uh... Never considered that they were being stolen from. A lot of them thought it was a clerical error. The books misplaced it's yeah. been borrowed. It's just put on the wrong shelf, and and I can understand how that could happen, especially in these kind of underfunded you know museums that the province drops pennies on every so often.
1: Exactly, it happens all the time. Things go missing or simply get misfiled, and it it's so common that he was able to rely on this repeatedly despite being seen with the items. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know, I guess is is disparaging towards our library system.
0: (laughs) Well, I have a feeling if you went to, like, the Mount or one of these places in the era after Filman, I don't think they're going to pass you one of the most valuable books on the planet. Like, I don't know, I'm sure there's a lot more valuable books, but... A first edition copy of *The Origin of Species* is a pretty important book. It's
1: it's a very important book, and it doesn't matter how many copies there were. Relative, there aren't going to be that many. Yeah, they're not printing any new ones. It's it's a very important book, but that was simply a book. He had other things of of uh, curious note. He had stolen a reproduction armor, like suit of armor, and the way he stole it is what's truly fascinating about it. He did it piece by piece. (laughs) wherever it was uh-huh. surely must have noticed that at some point there's half a suit of armor here yeah. now there's less than half a suit of armor where is this suit of armor going <laughs> yeah. he managed to walk a suit of armor out the front door of somewhere yeah
0: and i guess in the end it turned out that that suit of armor he, i believe he probably thought it was an antique but it was a movie prop yeah yeah <laughs> it wasn't even
1: real it, it was it was simply a replica and yeah that that's the funny thing is like he knew what he knew but he, it was so arrogant that what he didn't know didn't even come into the equation. He, yeah. he never would have conceived of the idea.
0: Yeah, it's just like when you hear the, the people who just are full of lies. It's on. He's that way and there was just so many lies spinning out of control with his ego kind of fueling the whole thing. But to his credit, when he did get caught, he did admit to the whole thing is my understanding. Is oh, he yeah. came clean.
1: And but that of course plays into the ego. He he wouldn't hide it. He wants you to know that for years, for years, this guy, this guy outsmarted you. He he loved publicity. He loved being interviewed uh, on CTV. He loved being interviewed CBC. for uh, CBC W five. Um, he loved. Uh, being uh, seeing his face in the newspaper, that's why he, they always got such really good shots of him uh, Usually like action shots around doing, his house. Yeah,
0: well, he's doing something interesting. There was yeah. in McLean's He's um he has like a little hammer like breaking a rock.
1: Yeah, he's just breaking his, a rock on his, his house. Property. In the background. I'm a geologist. Yeah You <laughs> like, uh, he, he's everything he needs to be and yeah his his uh, zeal for attention uh, got to the point of his book. Um, now, of course, he was a very eloquent and well-written guy. He was mm-hmm. he, he prided himself on his intelligence, um, both in being able to get away with everything, but also being able to charm everyone. Mm-hmm. And he was able to charm Nimbus, uh, Nimbus Publishing into publishing, well, nearly publishing, uh, a book that detailed uh, his entire criminal history. So, you know, not only was he quite proud of it and willing to admit to it, he went on at length for hundreds of pages that no one outside the company has ever seen because just as they were about to publish it, it came out in the national press via, I believe, Warren Kinsella and a few other columnists that, oops, he's a Nazi Mm. and the book got canceled. Now, this is a very important thing because at this point, For the first time in his life, he was flat broke Mm. because as part of his conviction uh, for the the multiple, multiple counts of theft and fraud and and what so forth, uh, eventually he was convicted of only 40, but those 40 kind of include a lot of things. (laughs) Uh, he, He was completely stripped of all of his assets. He was stripped of his property. Uh, he was stripped of all rights to pretty much uh, every aspect of his company uh, and was more or less living based on uh, uh, just what he could get from friends, uh, usually by suckering them. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends uh, in heavy quotation marks yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and what the the book was going to pay out. So when uh-huh. he lost that, he lost quite a bit of potential income. Mm-hmm. And of course, He lost uh, access to a bunch of film rights that were being flung at him at the time. Wow. Yeah, because for a little bit, like he wrote the book when
0: he was in prison. He did, yes. How long was he in prison?
1: He was in prison for, I want to say, uh, I I have that somewhere. It It wasn't nearly as long as he was supposed to. He was sentenced to eight years, and he was out in two. There we go. Okay. Yeah.
0: So during his two years in prison, he writes this book and he comes out of prison almost as i wouldn't say like a folk hero but he's sure like if you watch the video on ctv yeah they in it's a sit down interview similar in style to what they would give like a athlete or a political figure it's a very cozy like the 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 interviewer and him are sitting in comfy chairs they have cups of water and it's like tell me your amazing story yeah so he when he comes out of prison, he has the book deal rolling, he's on CTV and CBC getting these really like pleasant interviews, not the kind that any other criminal I've ever seen had given. Um, then the whole thing comes out about him being a neo-Nazi. Which they should have known because it came up as well in that video that was
1: used in his trial. It was kind of right there the whole time. Mm -hmm. And they always had access to that. And I I guess it becomes one of those things of, he was so good at selling you on what he wanted you to see. He wanted you to see the Gentleman Thief. Mm -hmm. Gentleman Thief who never hurt anyone except for that one time when he tried to kill his mother and also that one time he viciously beat his ex-girlfriend. Uh... And the kind of person who would steal uh, documents, uh, like historical documents, no one's really getting hurt here. The mm-hmm. person who wrote it and owned it was hundreds of years ago. You know he this is the vision he wanted to people to believe in, uh, that erudite, brilliant, well educated, doing it more or less for the thrill.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and not, of course, the truth uh, the truth of it, the matter, which is he did it because he hates you. And he hates all of us. And he just wants everyone else to not have access to these things. Yeah.
0: The um, the idea of him being like a, a white supremacist, Nazi, not only was that his personal ideology, but mm. he, it became a public matter as well, because <laughs> yeah. we, we had talked a bit about the Brook. Mm-hmm. And the story of the Brook is just so upsetting, where he, earlier on in his life, he got into politics a little bit. Yes. He managed to understand kind of what would go into or, or who you would need to involve if you wanted to name a place, for example, a brook. He names a brook near his home
1: Tillman Brook.
0: As a way to have a like, I guess, a Russian or a European last name.
1: A, so there, yeah, there's there's a couple of things there. So around the same time as he starts managing the campaign of Reform uh, Party member Jim Donahue for the 1993 federal election, yeah, he changes his name to from Tillman, uh, one end to Tillman, two ends okay. uh, to favor his Germanic uh, uh, ancestry. And, of course, to just needle in that tiny little bit of German supremacy. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, Jim Donahue didn't get anything, but uh, uh, that reform alt-right, hard-right aspect of John Tillman never went away. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you say, he made connections, connections to people with power and connections to people in bureaucratic power, and eventually figured out how to stick it to his neighbors, because As much as he truly was a dickhead to everyone Mm. he was a dickhead the most to his neighbors the people who were forced to live with him Mm. he would in the middle of the night wander into your property and steal stuff he would in the middle of the night wander onto your property and destroy stuff Uh, he lived uh, on miller lake and miller lake is where uh the local scout troop would learn canoeing and so there were buoys set up in the middle of the lake one night, uh, a former RCMP officer caught him out in the middle of the lake, cutting the buoys so that the kids couldn't use them for their canoe lessons. Okay. We, we we're talking a dickhead. And at some point, he learned that a local neighbor, a doctor, was Jewish. To his horror. And uh, while... Burning crosses on uh, people's lawns is a bit of a faux pas these days. A truly snide way of say renaming a local brook that happened to border that doctor's property after himself, who is a neo-Nazi, seemed like the best F.U. he could manage. And so he did. After a couple of attempts, he renamed uh, this previous—I I can't remember what it was named—Brook uh, to Tillman Brook, and to this day, it is still Tillman Brook.
0: And it was all just an FU to a Jewish neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the photos. He's doing like the Nazi salute. Yes, like uh, Tillman is doing the Nazi salute in so, in front of
1: the sign that says Tillman Brook. It is. So, it is unambiguous. He is sig hiling with all the the the. You know, the, the, the joie de vivre of Hermann Göring. Yeah,
0: and with mm-hmm. no, making no secret about the fact that there's a connection between the Nazi ideology, the name of the brook, yes. which so happens to abut a Jewish doctor's property. That's a, I see why the book was pulled.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, you could see why very quickly they pulled that book and um, uh, he more or less vanished from this this position of, of uh, kind of, Urban cultum, this this potential uh, uh, great. Um, I'm trying to remember the romantic hero uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of th- uh, gentleman thief, and he didn't appear again in media or anyone's uh, you know public thought until he mysteriously died. Yeah, which is just the the perfect
0: kind of icing on this ca- or cherry on top of this whole thing because yeah. he's a very despite like, what we know about him, he's a very private guy, and it seems like. He hasn't really given any personal information out. And then he dies under mysterious circumstances to the point that... And not mysterious because there was some strange thing that happened.
1: Mysterious because no one really knows. Yeah. So the the mystery was I- intentional. Mm. Uh, this is his one last uh, look at me, but don't look at me. Mm. Uh, very much the same way that he created his the heir of the gentleman uh, thief uh, until reality uh, popped that bubble, he wanted his death to be uh, uh, kind of ominous and somewhat threatening. Mm. Now, the simple fact is he died of cancer. On December 23rd, uh, 2018, he died of cancer, more or less alone. He was buried uh, at a, a funeral that was attended by only six people. Uh, Now, keep in mind, this is a man who, uh, despite being hated by everyone, only two people showed up to his uh, parole hearing uh, to give evidence against him. And apparently people stayed away from his funeral for the same reason. Everyone expected him to to seek revenge. And that meant, including, if you showed up to his funeral, he would seek revenge on you because no one, including his neighbors, his ex-girlfriend... People who he screwed over thought he was dead. It took his cremation for people to actually believe that he was dead. At which point his ex-girlfriend, who uh, he beat and then she supplied all the evidence against him, actually threw a party. Wow. Yeah. But there is no obituary because he ordered there be no obituary. And he ordered his lawyer to tell no one his cause of death. He wanted that he, he essentially wanted to vanish in the kind of way where you were certain that he was right behind you wow. But any time. Wow. Like a, a, a stochastic terrorist, practically. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, what
0: we well, we got into a bit about what his motivation was. In my mind, it's pretty clear that it's this screwed up smorgasbord of ego, greed. Vengeance against society.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's we, we have a guy who from a very young age, he is told that he is owed everything in society. Plus, he is already he is born into wealth. So he already has everything he wants. Therefore, anything that is missing, even if there is nothing missing, it creates this like imaginary void where you could have so much more if only it wasn't for those people. Mm those people being nebulous. So you have your basic neo-Nazi. Now on top of that, you have the fact that he was an incredibly intelligent person. But he was only ever respected when he was outsmarting you. Hmm. Uh, according to rumor, he was, he was not the best student in school. That only really came out uh, in university, his, his, his pure intelligence. He was an unpopular kid. And like any unpopular kid who doesn't do very well in public school, but later somehow like explodes intellectually and and finds their niche, Mm. there's a lot of resentment Mm. there. Mm. So on top of being raised a neo-Nazi, you have a resentful youth instead of the other way around that usually happens. It means that he is a hardcore and committed idealist for himself Mm. and no one else. And then you add on top of that, the fact that he was taught from a very young age to simply steal. So his modus operandi comes from the same people who broke him. Hmm. He was, he was built to be the perfect Nazi thief by people who more or less engineered a Nazi thief. That's how it seems. Yeah. And it's,
0: you can tell he gets a lot of... Um, he has that vibe like, I'm smarter than everyone else. In his missions and these thefts, it seemed to be his way of kind of stroking that part of mm-hmm. of his ego. Like, I'm sure he had a... You see it in the video. I find the video so telling. He's just casually... Like, that's in my 1982 Mercedes-Benz. Or, you know, just casually explaining what he has. I I, I find just the tone of his voice in that video... Makes me think, like, this guy thinks he's better than everyone. And this is kind of like a porn made for himself to show that or something. It's the vibe I get from it.
1: And that's exactly who that video was supposed to only be for. Uh, I'm sure that when he discovered that he wasn't in possession of it, he was more offended that he didn't get to have it anymore than the idea that it would be shown to other people and prove how horrible he was. How horrible he was... That can be adjusted. That can be talked around. Mm. This is a matter of possession. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it's... um, Another interesting side of the story was... I guess he gave, like, a long rambling letter to his son, giving, like, his son instructions on how to handle his affairs after his death.
1: Yeah, and it plays directly into exactly... What, uh, the, the, what people have been saying about his character. And he is passing on the exact same life lessons that he was taught. You don't owe anyone anything. And not only do you not owe anyone anything, it is perfectly well within your rights to do whatever it takes to have what you think is yours mm-hmm. and to protect, protect that from anyone. Mm-hmm. He was teaching him the exact same nonsense to create, once again... A Nazi super thief.
0: That's how it seems. Yeah, and one of a telling part of that letter is he was telling his son, like, you know, when I'm gone, do whatever you can to prevent people from going in this house, and take whatever means necessary to prevent anyone from making a claim against my estate. Yeah, and I think he knows that people are going to come when he dies. People are going to come for the antiques and whatnot that I don't own. That I don't own, so I want you, my son, to find a way to keep as much of it as possible.
1: Yeah, and here's the funny thing. He seemed to have. Uh, Kyle, his son, has more or less dropped off the face of the earth, but the assets that were taken from uh, his estate are nothing near what he clearly had. Mm. There is money somewhere. No one knows where. His uh, uh, previous home, I can't remember if it was demolished and rebuilt or completely renovated, but the people who bought it, uh, because uh, when he was convicted, it was taken away from him. The people who bought it tore it apart, looking for his money. Not a cent. Wow. Nothing was it left. But everyone knew he had money. He had money somewhere, and it's it's vanished into that 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 pit that Jimmy Hoffa's down. It's it, from buried it in the woods found. somewhere in Fall River. Right. And possibly maybe kyle knows where it is maybe kyle's living off it no one knows but years decades of the profit profit uh, proceeds of theft are out there somewhere wow
0: i think we covered everything is there any part of the story <laughs> we didn't get into
1: Ah, uh, no I, uh, I i i feel like we managed to hit every part of this Completely ridiculous story. Yeah, no, it's
0: this is the perfect story for you to bring. I couldn't <laughs> imagine anyone else telling me this story but you. For, for people who are listening, watching, who want to follow you. You make all sorts of videos, podcasts. How do they find you?
1: Uh, so, uh, best way to find me is probably on Twitter. I'm usually there or in another part of there. Uh, currently, I am at uh, Mickey Here Ego, so that's M I K K I H E R E E G O my god uh, or you can go to my patreon which is uh, patreon.com slash here ego uh, I am working on a website but it's not ready yet so there's no point going to it yeah but, really uh, yeah. but here ego.com if that is up by the time and you do argue with people on twitter so I, I, you're a good no. follow <laughs> I try to keep it interesting and entertaining and intellectual uh, and also fart jokes <laughs>
0: uh Michaela this has been awesome
1: uh, thank you so much for having me on my pleasure
0: I want to thank you for joining me for this discussion surrounding the very unlikable John Mark Tillman As interesting as this story is society, and of course our art and culture institutions are likely a bit better off without him hanging around And with that, I'll wrap up this episode But before we part, I want to give some thanks First, a huge thank you to Michaela Gorman of Here Ego for her masterful storytelling of this story As well, a big shout-out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, but most importantly, I want to give a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime. Without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping Nighttime alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please consider subscribing to the premium feed. Not only does it keep the show going, it gives you more of each topic than you're going to find here in the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content almost weekly. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, help keep the show alive and subscribe to the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. Chantel, Michelle, Sarah, Blair, Jeremiah, and Philip in Chelsea, thank you all for your generous support. And for anyone else out there who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a huge hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media and letting your friends know about what we're doing here. And if you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, you can find me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact, as well as on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm live on YouTube most Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sunday nights at 9.15 Eastern. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.